So, you're looking ahead to the 2024 open water fishing season and you're thinking about buying your first boat. We're going to talk about that on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks so much for tuning in as always to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast brought to us by Sportsman's Warehouse. Visit them at sportsmans.com or any one of 140 plus stores nationwide. So guys, we're looking at springtime. Everybody's thinking ahead and I'm personally planning on the Denver Boat Show next weekend. By the way, if you happen to be in the Colorado Front Range or Denver area, uh, feel sure to Swing by the Denver Boat Show. I'll be there with the fine folks at Crowley Marine Boats and uh, representing Ranger Boats and uh, all the other manufacturers there. Uh, we'll be uh, on hand answering questions, things like that. And would love to meet you there at the Denver Boat Show. And that is uh, not this weekend, but the following weekend. So what is that? I believe the 18th of January, that is. Uh, but at any rate, if you listen to this podcast, when the day it came out, I am at the Denver International Sportsman's Expo. So if you're listening to this on Friday, I will be there today and tomorrow, Friday and Saturday. And uh, we'd love to meet you there as well. Both of those events are at the Colorado Convention Center. And, um, and I'll be easy to find in both of them. So we'd love to see you guys there. But... I've bought a lot of boats over the course of my life, a lot of boats. Uh, I think I'm on my 16th Ranger boat. Um, I've got small boats. I had aluminum boats before, kind of tracker style, uh, John boats, and modified Vs. Had a lot of boats, spent half my life in boats, grew up in South Florida around boats. I'm a boat person, let's just put it that way, and I love boats. But I know a lot of people um, make some common mistakes when buying their first boat or upgrading significantly from a boat they may have. And I took the classic step that everybody did, which, or a lot of people did, I should say, which start with uh, like a 12-foot, very inexpensive boat. And then, geez, I upgraded that and put an electric motor on it. And wow, now I need electronics, so I put some of those on it. And pretty soon my 12-foot hand launch boat was getting to be heavy and expensive. Oh, geez, now I need a trailer. And I just kind of worked my way through the whole process, same as, like I said, a lot of you do. And uh, along the way, I made a lot of mistakes. And one of the advantages of being able to buy a lot of boats in my line of work, um, being able to rotate through boats basically yearly for the last 20 years or 18 years, um, is you learn a lot about buying boats. And I've worked a lot of boat shows and dealer events, and I've talked to a lot of people, and one of the common things of people buying a new boat is they made some buying mistakes when they bought their previous boat. And so I thought as part of this podcast, we should talk about the most important things to consider when you're buying that first boat or upgrading to a bigger boat or a quote-unquote better boat. Uh, I'm not always convinced that bigger boats are better, but, uh, but at any rate, if you're going to upgrade your boat, there's some things to consider. And I've done other podcasts on this as well, um, but we're going into boat show season right now, and, uh, and that's why uh, I felt like it was relevant to do this uh, again this year. So <clears throat> the first thing to consider when you're buying a boat is your boating experience. If it's literally your first boat ever, 
I'm not going to recommend getting a big boat because the bigger the boat gets, the harder the boat is to handle around launch, recovery, parking, docks, anything like that. The bigger the boat gets, the harder it is to deal with. So I'm going to recommend you maybe consider smaller than what you might consider. And it goes against most of everything else I'm going to tell you. But if it's literally your first trailered boat, uh, maybe you have a kayak or something, and I understand that's a boat, but in your first actual trailer boat, you have to be cognizant of some key things. First and foremost, if you've never had a boat before, you're going to find out that storing a boat can be tricky, depending on your HOA, where you live, um, you know, your storage situations in general. In my case, I live lakefront. I got plenty of room to park a boat, but I have a driveway that's a nightmare to get a boat down, and I've been doing it for 20 years, so I can do it pretty easy. But in the beginning, if it was my first boat, it wouldn't have been a whole lot of fun. And so look at whatever limitations you have of where you're going to store and park that boat first. That's the biggest thing. And you won't realize that until you own a boat. Uh, once you've already had one, and let's say you have a 16-footer and you're going to upgrade to a 21, well, that's a different conversation. But if you're literally going from a kayak or a canoe or no boat at all to your first trailered boat, the first thing you need to consider is where am I going to park it and where am I going to store it? And that may not be an issue for you, but it's something that needs to be dealt with because that's a classic one I see working boat shows. I bought a boat. I need a smaller boat because this one won't fit in my garage, so I'm going to downsize or something along those lines. Or I need a tandem axle trailer to get it where I want to go with it or, or whatever the case might be. But the storage of the boat and the transportation of the boat are important. And along the lines of transportation is also what are you going to tow it with? So... There's been a whole bunch of people that have bought boats and then realized that their pickup truck wasn't big enough to tow it or their pickup truck was going to need significant upgrades to be able to tow it uh, or your SUV or whatever you're going to tow it with. So that can also be a key thing because that might not be cheap. And so making your purchase decision on the boat based on where you're going to store it and what you're going to tow it with will give you the best chance of being off to a good start uh, in the first place. And... Towing the boat, you say, oh, well, it's well within the range of what my boat's rated for. Let's say my Ranger boat. I've got a 21-foot Ranger boat, right? It's, it's uh, roughly 36, 3,700 pounds. I look at it as 5,000 pounds by the time it's ready to fish with 50 gallons of gas in it and all the batteries and all the tackle and, and all the Vienna sausages and all the other crap that goes in a boat when you're going fishing. I'm going to look at it as closer to 5,000 pounds regardless of what the Ranger website's going to tell you that boat weighs because that's an empty weight and you're going to add a bunch of weight to the boat. Uh, and so when you're thinking about towing the boat, let's say that your truck is rated, you've got maybe a mid-sized pickup or a small pickup, it's rated for maybe 8,000 pounds. Well, 6,000 pound boat is within that rating, but it's going to be a lot and uh, it's going to be a little tricky maybe to tow. So you might consider hard there. If you've got a smaller tow vehicle or maybe even a, a basic half-ton pickup, uh, you might consider an aluminum boat because they are much lighter weight in general, all things being equal, and the tongue weight is lighter as well, So, as opposed to a fiberglass boat. So that's a thing to consider. So like I said, first of all, what are you gonna, where are you going to store it and what are you going to tow it with? Once you've decided you already have a pickup that you can tow with or you're willing to upgrade it, then you can make your other decisions from there. So the next thing I'm going to look at, the fundamental decision, is fiberglass or aluminum? And here again, it, it, some of it's tied to where you're gonna, where you're gonna, what you're gonna tow it with, but some of it's also tied to your budget because 
aluminum boats, as a general rule, are a little bit more affordable and a little require a little bit less power to push them. That means that they require less fuel. That means they require less insurance because they have a lower horsepower rating uh, as a general rule. And the motor itself is less expensive because it's a smaller motor. So, for instance, my 20, let's, you can order my 20-foot Ranger boat. Let's call it a 520. And it's going to come with a 225 or a 250 on it if you order it, 250 horsepower motor. But you can buy a 20-foot aluminum Ranger boat and with 150 horsepower on it, it's still a 60 mile an hour boat instead of 250 horsepower because it's a lighter, narrower boat. And so it doesn't require the power, which means you don't, it doesn't have as much weight to tow, it doesn't have as much insurance, it doesn't have as much fuel costs and all of those things like I just mentioned. So that's the next thing I'm gonna look at is fiberglass or, gla- or, or aluminum. One of them is the economics. One of them is the ride quality. The fiberglass boats have sleeker, smoother lines and they're heavier, so they cut water better, uh, they handle wind and waves better, they don't blow around as much uh, as aluminum boats do because they're, they're heavier in the water. Um, they're just a bigger, stable, more stable package overall than an aluminum boat in most cases. Having said that, the aluminum boat is far more durable in some ways. For instance, if you're inclined to fish lakes that have a bunch of stumps and a bunch of, of you know stuff that's hard on the hull of the boat, well, sometimes an aluminum boat will get a dent or a scratch, but it's not going to hurt anything as opposed to damaging the fiberglass, which can happen. Uh, and if once you break the gel coat on a boat, then it has the opportunity to absorb water. If you put a dent in your aluminum, it's not going to change a whole bunch of the boat itself. So that's a key thing. And then the next thing is if you're going to park it on gravel bars or nose it up to boat ramps or let it rub on stuff, it's just a less expensive boat and a little tougher to, to ding up in that regard. So, and from that standpoint, uh, I strongly prefer aluminum boats because they're very workmanlike and, uh, and I can beat on them and whatever. Do they have the sheer performance of my big bad Ranger boat? Absolutely not. But it's a more durable, more practical, smaller, less affordable, lighter weight boat. And I shouldn't even say smaller, as long as you buy one in the same size range. Uh, so the fiberglass versus the aluminum thing, if it's your first boat, I'm going to, again, if you're looking at a pure fishing boat, I'm going to consider that an aluminum boat because it's less investment. So you're less committed to it. It's easier to tow, less chance you're going to have a problem with any of that stuff. Uh, and just generally, if you bounce it off a dock or something like that, it's not as big a deal as you're getting used to the boat. Having said that, if you're looking at getting in a serious, you know, high-end type boat as your first boat, consider that you're going to have do some polishing on that thing occasionally and and, uh, and take a little bit better care of it. So I would look at that. That's your fundamental decision there. In terms of hull layout, um, this is another big one, and a lot of guys struggle with this one. Everybody, this is a largely personal thing in some ways. So you can basically, you got two basic choices in terms of fishing boats. Three, maybe, if you really want to get, get specific. One being a traditional bass-style boat, whether that be fiberglass or aluminum. So it's got low low sides on the boat, doesn't have a lot of, of what's known as freeboard or, or space between the deck and the top of the top cap. Uh, it's made basically to stand and fish. And if you've watched any bass fishing, you understand that's how those guys fish, and, uh, and that's an important thing. That is my personal preference for boat styles because they handle great in the wind, they're fast, they're fun to drive, 
tons of deck space on them. You can lay tons of rods on the deck, and they're a very efficient machine if you like to stand and fish uh, and things like that. Conversely, if there's any chance you're going to troll, or if you desire to have full windshields, or if you're going to have kids or people in the boat that there's any chance of falling out, which could be elderly people as well, something like a walleye-style boat is much, um, let's say, safer and more forgiving in that regard. It's harder to fall out of. It's harder to get splashed in because of the windshields. Um, but they are bigger and heavier and more expensive and harder to tow and harder to put a cover on and things like that. So you've got to keep those things in mind with the walleye-style boat. But if you're fishing big water and big waves, maybe it's the kind of thing you need to consider. And, and then I would look at the walleye boat. But again, if it's your first boat, smaller is going to be better, in my opinion, and then upgrade later. And that's going to be a key thing. Um, the walleye-style boats have, have great... Great uses in big water. They have a lot of good storage options and things like that, but they don't tend to have as much deck space in favor of more cockpit space. And like I said, they're a little safer to move around in in, in big water if the, if, the, if the lake's banging. The flip side is they will blow around more than a bass boat because they have taller sides to catch the wind and they're harder to tow. Let's say a 21-foot walleye boat versus a 21-foot bass boat from the same manufacturer, the walleye boat's considerably tougher to tow because it's heavier and it catches a bunch more wind. So it's a noticeable difference in my Toyota Tundra between towing the big the big walleye boat and towing the bass boat. And uh, and that's a key thing right there as well. So let's say you've chosen your, your you want fiberglass or, or, or aluminum, you decided on your basic style that you want for a hull. Uh, and then you can start looking from there what you're going to next. And for me, the next thing is going to be power. And this is easy. This is an easy one because I'm a Colorado-based guy, meaning I live at elevation. And my house is at 5,435 feet in elevation. Uh, that's much higher than a lot of you will ever boat around. And that sucks the horsepower right out of the motor because the atmospheric pressure is lower at this elevation. Like any other motor, it makes less power the higher the elevation goes. And therefore, you're going to need the max rating on the boat. And I, you, you basically, let me just, I'm going to make this part real short. Buy the max horsepower the boat's rated for without any question and go down the road. It's not because that makes the boat the fastest. It's because that makes the boat the most drivable. Uh, so you've got all your stuff and your two buddies and your cooler full of fish and you're all the way across the lake and now the wind's blowing 40 miles an hour and you need that mid-range power to get across the lake. That's where having the maximum horsepower rating is gonna help you a lot. It's the boat is more drivable through the mid-range of the power of the motor than it is at its max power point. And keeping in mind that its max power point is going to be considerably lower the higher the elevation you're at, well, then the more important it is that you be closer to that max power rating in the first place. So, for instance, my 250 horsepower rated Mercury motor on the back of my 21-foot bass boat doesn't make anywhere near 250 horsepower at the elevation that I live at. It does down at sea level, but it doesn't where I live here. And it's probably more like a 10% loss in horsepower right off the bat. And if you really want a good illustration of that, and I don't want to get too detailed because this is a basic boat buying podcast, but long story short, it takes like two sizes different in prop 
to go down lower elevation than it does up here. Conversely, I have to downsize my prop to come to the elevation I live at because the motor just flat doesn't make enough power to spin the big prop at this elevation because of the, uh, the atmospheric pressure drop. So you don't get anywhere near 14.7 pounds per square inch of atmospheric pressure at 5,000 feet in elevation. So if you're a western guy and you happen to be in the Rocky Mountain region listening to this and you're buying a boat, buy the max power it's rated for. Also, that will help you with, with resale value, make a huge difference in resale value. So the other thing is the gas motor is the one thing that's the hardest to do any upgrading on. So... For instance, let's say you bought the boat and it's got everything you want, but you don't really like the electronics that are on the boat. Well, okay, that's not a terribly difficult thing to change out as opposed to swapping the entire motor and the control system for the motor on the back of the boat, the steering, the throttle, all the things that go into controlling the modern boat. So make sure you pick your hull material, your size, your hull design, and your big motor. Those are the most important things when you're buying a boat. Spend your money and your decision time on those things. The rest of the things are more minor from there. And the next thing I would consider after the big gas motor is the front trolling motor. And really any modern fishing boat's gonna have a trolling motor on the front of it, obviously, an electric motor. Um, I'm not gonna get into brands or any of that, but I am going to tell you this. If, for me, the, you have to have a good, clean foot control for that trolling motor. I don't care if you're in a walleye boat or you're in a bass boat. A lot of walleye boats, guys, are running their trolling motors with their key fob on their on their remote control. And I get it, I understand, that's handy. And, and using a foot control, whether you're sitting on a pedestal or standing and using the foot control may not be intuitive to a lot of guys, but fishing is a two-handed sport. And every time I have to let go of my reel to control my trolling motor, I am out of control with my lure. And you're gonna have to control that trolling motor a lot, so get in my opinion, whether you buy one that has a, a remote control or not, you need to have a good pedal, be it a Bluetooth pedal or a wired pedal, whatever the case might be, whatever brand you get, make sure, in my opinion, that you can run it with your foot. Uh, it drives me absolutely insane to get in a boat that I have to run with my hand because, again, I need the hands to handle the fish, and I don't want to have to keep letting go of my rod and reel and using one of my two hands to control my trolling motor. Uh, and controlling your trolling motor is super paramount to, to boat control, which is super paramount to catching fish. So every time, let's say, I'm managing my rod and reel instead of my trolling motor, well, now my boat may be drifting uh, inappropriately. Or conversely, I'm handling my boat instead of my rod and reel. Now my bait's sinking and, and is out of control. And so, again, if I can control the rod and reel and the boat at the same time, I'm better off, and a foot control will allow you to do that. And there's a reason that pretty much every single bass boat sold has a foot control on it. But a lot of the walleye-style boats or the crossover boats do not. Uh, so keep that in mind as well. Uh, also, along the same lines as the big motor, get a big trolling motor. Nobody has ever complained about having too much electric power on the front of the boat. 
the wind is a real thing again, particularly here in the West. Um, you the, the trolling motor will use less battery power at half power than it will at full power. So if you've got a small trolling motor and you've got it cranked up all the time, first of all, you don't have the throttle response you want uh, or the immediate boat response you want. Second of all, you're working your batteries the whole time, and you're at the extreme performance limit of the motor itself. And so similar to the big motor, it's not necessarily about how good it is at top speed or, or top power, but how good it is through its mid-range power and mid-range speed. So that's where I recommend strongly that with power sources for your boat, get the most. You can always turn the power down, but you can't turn it up if past its maximum. So keep those two things in mind. Then from there, you're looking at uh, electronics, and electronics are something that is way more gray. You have to only decide from there, and they are upgradable. So again, if you're getting into the boat, make sure you buy the boat you want with the motors you want, and then you can play with the electronics from there. Electronics change a lot more faster than motors do. And therefore, if you're going to keep this boat for several years, you may be upgrading the electronics at some point anyway, just because of technology change. So that's another thing uh, to keep in mind. Whatever brand of electronics it is, I'm going to recommend that you you do the same with your electronics and your motor, if if that's doable. Uh, just my your electric motor, I mean, and that's just because it makes them easier to communicate. And so Lawrence has the Ghost, Humminbird has their own. Uh, version of stuff, uh, you know, everybody does. And so pick whatever brand of uh, electronics and motors you're going to go with and go from there. Uh, and that will help you out. And then after that, the rest of it's kind of personal stuff with one gray area. And the gray area is, uh, am I buying a crossover boat? And for instance, Ranger makes a Riata, which is really kind of a family boat slash fishing boat. So you might have have kids that you might want to do some tubing or some skiing. Uh, maybe you got some friends, you just want to do cruises on the lakes and, and maybe, a, you know, have a, have a dinner on the boat occasionally in the evenings. They make good crossover boats that still have electric motors on them and rod storage, but maybe also with some ski storage as well and consider some of those boats. As with anything in life, um, uh, compromise is just that. You're not going to get as good of a fishing boat or as good of a family boat when you buy a crossover boat, but you're going to have better value because if you're going to use it for both those purposes, obviously you can spread it out. Uh, I'm at a point in my life now where I'm looking at a um, you know full-size Ranger bass boat and also a small pontoon boat so that I can do uh, cooking on it and you know basically recreate with friends things like that and have two different boats but that's not practical for a lot of people and if it's not then a crossover boat's a good potential choice for you uh, and go from there a couple other things I'll throw out about the boat whether you think you're going to need it or not get a good cover for the boat uh, because you might park it in a hotel somewhere you might be out who knows? Uh, I don't tow my boat with the cover, but I cover it everywhere I park it unless it's at my house and in, in the garage. And then the reason I don't, the reason I think you might underestimate that is invariably once you get a boat, you're going to go places you're going to wish you could cover it. Go ahead and get the cover. If you get a factory cover from the manufacturer that made the boat, it's going to fit a lot better than one of the generic ones you can buy uh, after the fact. But uh, so get the good cover with the boat for sure. 
Um, and back to the electronics a little bit, I would. there's no chance of me buying a boat without a graph at both ends, whatever branded it. I would rather have a graph on the bow and the console, both of which that were more basic graphs than just have one really good graph at one end or the other. So that's where I would split my dollars when it comes to that. Uh, I don't have to go into too much of it, but you definitely need traditional sonar and GPS. Those are the two things you have to have on that graph to have a modern fishing boat. You've got to have the GPS built into it at the same time uh, to be able to track spots, get back to spots, repeat trolling patterns, find other spots that people traded with you, uh, whatever the case might be. you got to have the GPS there and then, uh, and then traditional sonar. Whether or not you need down scan, side scan, forward facing sonar, all the other things, that depends on your skill level, your budget, uh, your propensity for technology, things like that. But all of those things add cost and complexity to the boat. So keep that in mind. The complexity to the boat is a real thing. Uh, buying a full, fully rigged, brand new, modern bass or walleye goat boat, particularly a top-end one, you could spend weeks just learning all the systems in the boat, and uh, and they just they're very complicated these days, more so than cars and things like that. So if you don't have the the stomach for that, then keep that electronics and stuff more basic, but still get the engine packages that you need to make sure the boat can perform at a high level uh, wherever you go. Uh, and and again for me. Um, a boat somewhere between about 17 and 21 feet is a sweet spot for any sort of fishing boat. I realize that's a really wide range of boats. I settled years ago on bass boats in the 21-foot range or, or right at 21 feet because I like the, the balance of the way the hull works. Plus, I typically have three people in the boat. If you know you're only going to have two guys all the time, well, maybe you can get a 19-foot bass boat and save yourself 5000 bucks. Uh, or more even, and also you run it with less power and things. So there's that. I almost always have three people. I need the big boat for that because I film a fishing show. We've got camera gear and all of that. Most tournament guys only run 20-footers, and if I'm done with this fishing industry and I'm doing my own thing and I'm just out for fun and fishing, I'm probably going to be in a 19-footer because it's a little bit easier to move around in. I don't. I won't have camera gear all the time, and it's just a fun boat to drive. So uh, bigger boat is good for certain things, but a lot of that comes down to how many people you're going to have in the boat. If I was fishing solo, I'd have a 16 or 17 footer. If, if, if that was my intention to fish solo most of the time, I would have a small boat. And my long range plan for a boat, guys, is going to be a, a bay boat that I can have in freshwater and saltwater. I can take it with me, meaning I have to have an aluminum trailer instead of a steel trailer. Uh, and if there's any chance you're going to tow a boat to saltwater, keep that little thing in mind. I don't care what coating, what manufacturer puts on that steel trailer. If you put a steel trailer in the saltwater, you're not going to have that steel trailer very long. Uh, the coatings are just not good enough that uh, that they it will fight off saltwater, and you'll be replacing that thing in no time flat. So if you're considering taking it to freshwater, look at getting an aluminum trailer for it. And my long-term, my retirement boat, my forever boat, uh, will for sure be a boat that can do all of the above, freshwater, saltwater, um, whatever, and it will likely be aluminum, and it will likely be in the 19-foot range. So 
That's my spiel, guys. Boat show season. Again, hope to see you guys maybe at the Denver Boat Show, but whatever boat shows are in your area, I'm going to strongly recommend if you're even thinking of buying a boat, go check them out. And wherever you live, go to that boat show. And it's not necessarily because you can buy a boat there, but it's because you can look at different boats from different manufacturers, get in them, look closely at the welds and the seams and the workmanship and all of that. Uh, and really get a chance to look at all of it side by side. Boat shows give you a chance to do that. And if you are serious about buying a boat and you're ready to make some decisions, boat shows are a lot of times good places to buy from the standpoint that they have boat show only pricing on certain things. Like I mentioned, a cover, a lot of times manufacturers will say, oh, buy it today, you get a free cover. Well, that cover on a, on a high-end Ranger boat's like $1,200. That's a definite bonus. So keep that in mind. So if you guys have questions, send them to me, chat at fishfulthinker.com. If you want to join the conversation, please do that at Fishful Thinker on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and especially check out our YouTube channel. Otherwise, tune into Altitude Sports and World Fishing Network, and we'll see what we're up to on cable TV. So thanks Thanks for listening. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast. 